So, I mean, they, they, they're tough. I went through my boot camp. I know what their boot camp is like. I'll take mine. Amen. But uh, I still, every time I hear that song, every time I think about the rings, I, I just can't get out of my head that picture of Gomer Pyle with that bucket on his head. Well, he told Sergeant Carter, I, you think it sounds good in the bucket? Sure. And he, there he is singing, you know, with the bucket on his head, singing the Marine song. But uh, anyways, one of the best TV episodes ever. Well, we're thankful for our veterans and thankful for those of you that, that have served. We have two different days that we celebrate in our country. We celebrate Veterans Day and we celebrate Memorial Day. Memorial Day is, of course, the day where we celebrate those who are no longer with us, those who have either paid the price in battle and fighting for our freedom or who over the process of time, the Lord has called them home. And we're getting in the day and age where it's getting, it's getting harder and harder to find uh, certain veterans of certain wars and certain veterans from certain ages and times. Our World War II veterans are slowly uh, being taken from us. Uh, but then we have days like today where it's Veterans Day, and we honor those who are still with us. And we ought to always be thankful and be aware of those who have served and are still with us and those who are currently serving uh, for us now. Uh, went through a very difficult time in American history. I don't remember it, but I've studied it. I know that there was a time when our soldiers came home from war and they were not treated with respect and dignity and they were not treated with honor and integrity. And they had to bear that burden of fighting a war that probably they didn't want to be in and maybe didn't want to fight and wasn't sure what they were doing, but they did it because their nation called upon them to do so. And uh, we went through that, and I'm so glad that things have changed. I'm glad to turn on, I'm glad that I can look, you can go to YouTube now, you can go to, you can go to the internet, and you can search, uh, and you can look up these videos now of servicemen and women who are coming home, and as they walk through the airports, men and women stand and just uh, give them applause and, 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 and hug them and thank them, and, 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 and that's how it should be, amen? We ought to honor our veterans, and with that in mind, 2 Samuel chapter 23 is where I want us to go this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I want to try and look as quickly as we can at what, what the Bible teaches about veterans. You know, what, what do we learn about veterans? War is an ugly thing. Uh, somebody once said, nobody really wins a war, and that's true. Amen. Uh, war is the last resort. Others have said that war is ultimately the result of failed diplomacy. There's some truth in that. Uh, there are some people that doesn't matter how diplomatic you are, the only way you're going to get through to them is, is, is through uh, righteous violence. And that's a term that creates controversy in itself, and yet it's a biblical term. And we're living in a day when, when we need to know now more than ever what the Bible teaches us about what to fight for, when to fight, how to fight, and especially how to honor those who fight for us and for our freedoms and, and what the Bible teaches on that. And as I've said before and said through my lifetime of preaching and teaching, and will continue to say until God calls me home, the Bible tells us everything we need to know. The Bible tells us everything we know about, need to know about how to live in this world and how to treat each other. Amen? And so I want to look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, now, I don't know if you're like me. Um, I like war movies. Uh, I love war movies. I grew up watching, uh, I grew up watching John Wayne, right? It's hard to find men like him. There's some great actors out there today, but I, I'm not sure I got anybody that I could compare to a John Wayne. Amen? There was just somebody. Uh, there's, just, there's just nobody like him. Uh, I remember my mom, Gene uh, Autry. That was her favorite cowboy. She loved Gene Autry, and there was called Roy Rogers in those. Uh, we watched the cowboy movies, and we watched the old war movies. And Why do we watch these movies? Why do we love these movies? Because we love heroes. We love stories of heroism. We love it for two reasons. We, we, we like to see a hero or someone that we can treat as a hero because it reminds us there are still people who, are, who go to extreme measures to do good in this world. 
They go to extreme measures to sacrifice for us. And, and we look for heroes because we want to believe that in the midst of a, a world that when we look around and we see wickedness and we see violence, there are those who are fighting for the right things and for the good things. And we need to be reminded of that. Amen. And so I, I love those movies, and, and you probably watched them and love them too. We're living in a day when, unfortunately, the, the nature of a hero has changed, and we, we throw that word around. And we can move beyond veterans, just military veterans. We, we, we call uh, these men and women heroes who serve as first responders, police officers, firefighters, uh, paramedics, and rightfully so. Uh, there are those people who... When the fire fire starts, uh, fire fight starts, when the, when, the, when the crisis starts, as other people are running away from it, they're running right into it. And that takes a special person. Amen. Uh, I was trained to be a firefighter when I was in a church. I wanted to be a chaplain, and I said I, I, I didn't want to be a firefighter, but I wanted to be a chaplain for firefighters. And so the church sent me to school down in Thomaston, Georgia, to go to the ba basic uh, Module 1 firefighter training, and uh, wore the gear, did all that stuff, put that on in training, got all that on. They made us crawl across a field. Uh, it took me back to my basic training days wearing chemical gear and all these things and I put on that firefighter's gear and that big tank on my back and we started crawling across that field and I crawled like two feet and said you know I, I really don't want to be a firefighter I don't I know I'm not sure I could do this and you don't understand that there, there, there's, there, there are men and women whose very life requires them to run into a dangerous situation whose very life requires them to wear body armor to protect them from those who would do them harm and they're doing that for us these are real heroes and so I Say that, and I've got stuff written down here. Now, can I just tell you, can I just go, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. I love y'all. I hope you love me. Amen. I have to write some things down. In some sermons, I have to be very careful because I'm, in, I'm incredibly opinionated and I'm right. <laughs> but I just want to, I don't mean to offend anyone intentionally. I would never do that. And, and, and yet there are just some things I believe very deeply and very passionately. And, and can I just say that I really can't think of, of any term or any shape or any fashion ever where I would consider an athlete to be a hero. And I certainly wouldn't consider them to be a hero of a veteran or a police officer. And I have a problem with someone who gets paid millions of dollars to play a game but doesn't have the courtesy to stand and respect for the flag and the men and women who paid the price. Freedom of speech, amen, is not the freedom to say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do. There's a dignity and a respect, and there's a time and a place to make a statement, and that is not the time or the place, amen? And so thank you for that encouragement. I feel a little more relieved now that we're in agreement on that. Beloved, the day we're living in requires us to understand that there, that there are people who are willing to pay a price that either we can't pay or pay or even some of us aren't willing to pay. Hebrews chapter 11, you're familiar with the chapter, great hall of faith, those who are actively engaged in battle, I'm going to read some things and we're going to see how we get tonight, uh, this morning, how we get through this. Hebrews 11.32 tells us that uh, I don't have time to tell us about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 
Veterans Day is a powerful day, and it's a day that unfortunately we often neglect in the church. I don't think we ought to neglect it. I think it ought to be a day that we highlight and spotlight it. And we should make sure that it is celebrated as much as Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and any other day. Because we realize there is a price that those who are pay, have paid and are willing to pay for us. The 11th of November started in 1938. It became a legal holiday. It was originally called, you might know this, Armistice Day. Uh, but then in 1954, the wording was changed to Veterans Day. And November 11th became a day to honor American veterans of all wars. But what about the Bible? Does, you know, we do this as a nation, but is it right in the church to honor our veterans? Well, in several places in the Bible, God honors warriors who fought in, in, in battle. He honors those, and he recognized those who gave their life for us. And we're going to look this morning, and I don't know if I told you to turn there yet or not, 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you haven't turned there, 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to look at how God honors veterans and what he has to say about those who are willing to fight. We turn to the scriptures, we often tend to read them today, and we kind of, we, we try to sanitize the Bible, we try to make it simple, make it clean, we try to make it less than it, try to make it more, less, less, less confrontational than it is. We try to make ourselves comfortable when we read uncomfortable passages in the Bible. Does that make sense? Amen? And, and yet the Bible doesn't shy away from the reality of this world we live in. The, the Bible doesn't shy away. Uh, years ago, uh, in, 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 when 9-11 occurred, and, and I remember having to preach the Sunday after that, uh, and everybody said, what do, how do we deal with this? We've never seen anything like this before. Terrorism, this new thing, like it's never been around. And I actually went into the Bible and showed them the very first terrorists recorded in the Bible were those who hunted down the Israelites as they left Egypt and went into the promised land. There were the Amalekites, and they were the original terrorists of the Bible because the Bible says that they would not attack the strong men. They would not attack the warriors. But in the night, and, and, and when no one was looking, they would come in and they would attack the women and the children and they would attack the rear of the flanks they would always attack from behind and so that Israel actually had to begin putting soldiers in the back and they would never attack the soldiers they would always attack the weak why because the Amalekites were the first terrorists they were the first true warrior cowards in the Bible and and God spoke against them and when they went into the promised land God felt so strongly about this that he said when you go into the promised land you will destroy all of the Amalekites for their wickedness. So God understands that we're living in a day when people will do horrible, evil things, and those horrible, evil things and committed by those horrible, evil people need to be met by people backed by a righteous God who know when it's time to do the right thing and how to do it. Amen. With that in mind, God says to us in 2 Samuel 23 how we honor our veterans and how we talk about those who, who are willing to pay that price. Uh, let me read... Let me read some from Psalm 144 before we get there. We hear this all the time, by the way. We hear God is love, God is love. Everyone wants to say God is God of love, and he is. The Bible says God is love. We love him because he first loved us. But God is also a righteous God. God is also a holy God. And God is jealous over us. And he wants to protect us from those who would do us harm. Amen. And even in this world, when we have a hard time defining evil, God doesn't. And he knows how to deal with those who need to be dealt with, who are promoting wickedness. And so, in Psalm 144, this is what he says. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. When we read this, we, we, it creates a conflict. You mean God actually gives us a skill in fighting in war? 
Does that mean that war is okay? Or shouldn't we be pacifists? Should we never fight? What, what, what does it mean if God gives our, he skills our hands, he trains our hands for war and our fingers, fingers for battle, does that mean that God then is a warring God? Well, in verse 2 of that same Psalm 144, he says, He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. And so David looked to God as his refuge in times of war. And then in verse 6 and 7, he looks to God for deliverance. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemies. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners. And so we understand that the greatest prayer that we can pray when we see this conflict rising is, is that rather than us, that we be prepared to go to battle, but if at all possible, our prayer should be that God just go ahead and fight that battle for us. Because God has the ability to put his enemies and the enemies of his people to flight without us ever having to lift a finger. But there does come a time and a place when we ask men and women to wear the uniform of a soldier. We ask them to take up arms in our defense. We ask them to do that which we often cannot do. I remember a day, well, I don't remember a day, I remember reading about a day when young men who were not of age to go into the military would lie, would lie and forge documents so that they could go fight for their country. I, I remember a day when, 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 when we wanted to fight for freedom and for honor. We need to understand in verses 12 through 14, and I wrote this down, war, you might have heard this said, war is a necessary evil. War is not a necessary evil, but it is necessary to fight evil. And we have to be careful that when we fight against evil, we don't become evil on our own. The best of nation that goes to war for the best of intentions can suddenly find itself doing the horribly wrong things that nation shouldn't be doing. I'll say this very quickly. I remember for years, America's held the high moral ground when it came to how we treated prisoners of war. We saw the shift in that during the Iraq controversy, and we saw our soldiers doing things. We now have soldiers facing, going on trial in America for doing things that we understand that it's not becoming an American and it's not the right thing to do in war. And so we have to be very careful with that. This is what God says. In verse 12 through 14 of Psalm 144, he says that our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. David sees war as the means of protecting the safety of his family and his people to keep the city from being overrun and families from being taken prisoner and distress and turmoil, David fought in wars. So, and I wrote this down this morning. I thought about, tried to define this somehow. What is a veteran? I wrote a couple of things down quickly. Number one, a veteran is someone who fights for those who cannot fight for themselves. Number two, a veteran is someone who fights for those who will not fight for themselves. Aren't you thankful that even though we have some very stubborn and foolish people who actually run this country who, who think that, that freedom is actually free, that there is no cost, that there aren't those who are out to do us harm. Aren't you glad that we have men and women who are willing to take up the uniform and fight for our freedom, even when they know there are other people who, who would mock them and criticize them for that? That when we fight for our freedom and when you fight for your freedom, when you fight for someone else's freedom, that we fight for the freedom of even those who may not agree with us. 
And that's a hard thing to do. It's easy to fight for somebody that agrees with you, amen? But the challenge comes when we fight for those we know who would abuse it. You know, the sad truth is, the very veterans that so many people disrespect as they exercise what they call free speech are able to exercise that so-called free speech because a veteran was willing to give his life for them to be able to do that. Common sense, good judgment. A veteran fights first and foremost to protect those whom they love, then to protect the ideas that they value. A veteran fights for freedom, including the freedom of those who would reject them. I pray that we never return to a time in our history when, when we look at veterans the way we did after the Vietnam War especially. And I pray that whenever we see someone wearing the uniform or someone who used to wear the uniform, that we would stand tall and hold our heads high and look at that person and say, thank you. Thank you for what you were willing to do for me. Amen? So look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, it says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And these are some great names. All right? I love the Old Testament. You want to to give your child a good biblical name? I I know we run to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We run to those names. Run to 2 Samuel 23 and see if you want to name your son one of these names. These be the names. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 men whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, not a bad name, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword and the Lord, the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Two men already. The first man who went into battle with a spear and it says he took on 800 men. 800 to 1. Now he, 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 here's the man who says, yeah, I, I don't think I got a shot but I'm going to fight anyways. And when it's all said and done, 800 men were either dead or fled by the hand of one man with bravery and a spear. And then you have another man who fought so hard and so long, the Bible says, that, 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 that his hand clave unto the sword. He fought and swung that sword so long and so hard that, that when the battle was over, that when he went to let go of the sword, his hand had locked in place around the sword. That's a warrior, Amen. And it says that the Lord wrought a great victory and then the people came back. After, he'd done, after these heroes did all the work, the people went back and gained the spoil. And isn't that how it is? The veterans go, they fight for us, they preserve our freedom, they win the victory, and we, we get the spoils, we get the celebration, we get the rewards. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Heherite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. Do you understand? People will fight over stupid things. But do you understand that what happened here was they're fighting over beans? There was a plot of land with lentils and the Philistines said, we want it. And everybody else fled except for Shammah who said, "Uh, excuse me. This is my ground, this is the Lord's ground, and he fought against the Philistines. 
to keep them from taking away this plot of lentils. Now, in that situation, it's good to fight. You understand that if we live in, and we need to be careful with it. I don't have that written down. I'm going to move on. Amen. I, I got I to stick with it. I get in trouble. When I, when, I don't, when I get away from what I wrote down, I get in trouble all the time. Amen. I will say this. <laughs> the Bible says, blessed are the meek, for the meek shall inherit the earth. Can we just go ahead and say, I'm sure you've heard this sermon before, but I want you to know where I stand. Meekness does not make you a doormat. Meekness is not the same as weakness. In fact, quite the opposite. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is knowing when to fight as well as when not to fight. And it's knowing when not to fight as well as when knowing when to fight. Amen? And so he fought for this plot of lentiles because it belonged to him. Now, three of the 30 chief went down and came to David and the troop and they pitched in the valley of Rephaim. So that's what we read. That's what I wanted to read tonight is we wanted to talk about that. And, and there are many other veterans who are listed in this chapter. Why does David fight against the Philistines? Why are they fighting this war? Why is any of this even happening? Because if you remember when the people of Israel went into the promised land, God told them who they were to fight, who they were to drive out, who they, who they were, to, um, uh, who they were to, to, to kill, who they were to drive out, who they were to make sure that they put them completely out of the land. And yet the Bible tells us that they didn't do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says, Hear, O Israel, you are about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. And you know the story of Jericho. The people are strong and tall. They are the Anakites. They were the giants of that day. You know about them and you've heard it said, who can stand against the Anakites? But be assured today that your Lord, your God, is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out from before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God... God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they were told when they went into the promised land to do one of two things, to either kill those who fought against them, fight to the death, or drive them out of the land. So those who they fought against had a choice. They could stay in the land in their wickedness and fight against God, or they could flee and the land would be given to the people that God had appointed. Every war we see in this world is ultimately a war of someone's perception of wickedness and righteousness. And when we go to war and when we fight and when we ask our soldiers to fight for us, when we ask someone to put on the uniform of a soldier and go to war, we'd better make sure that we know that we are on the cause of right and that we are on the side of the Lord. And the question that was asked in the Bible is when God confronted Joshua, are you for us or against us? Are you on our side? And, and, and the angel of the Lord said, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, am I on your side? The question is, are you on my side? He, he, he says, and it's not a question of, of, of whether or not I need you. It's a question of how much you need me. And we need to know that when we fight for things in this world, we're fighting those, for those things that the Bible says are worth fighting for. Amen? And so the Jews were supposed to drive them out, and they didn't do it. And as a result, now they're in the land, and all of these things are happening. 
And so here comes David, a man after God's own heart, and he fights. But why is he fighting? Is he fighting because he's a warrior, because he likes war? No, he's fighting because he had to fight in order to bring peace. That's the dilemma and the difficult thing about scriptures, beloved. We're living in a day when we're told, and there are people who believe that as Christians we should be total pacifists. There are others who say we ought to be total warriors. I believe that if you study the Bible, the Old and the New Testament together, the way that God wants us to, the conclusion that you and I must come to is that there is a time and a place in this world that we live in because it's broken, because it's wicked, because there are evil men who have set their hearts against God, that there is a time and a place where we are going to have to go to war. And when we go to war, we better know who we're fighting, what we're fighting for, and we need to be fighting a war that when it's over, we know we've won. That's a sermon for another time. And so when David went to war, he knew who he was fighting, and he knew when his enemy had been defeated, and he knew that God had given him the victory. And then above all, when war comes, we pray for and we fight for a quick resolution so that we can return to peace and keep peace. Now, with that in mind, four things from 2 Samuel 23. A lot of introduction. This will go quickly. Four things that I want us to think about when we think about Veterans Day. I need to, I need to say all that because I need us to understand. If you've never put on a uniform, if you've never put on a uniform, it's, we talk about this all the time. People who've never worn the uniform of a police officer think they know what it means to be a police officer. Until somebody has shot at you, Amen? You, you can't identify with what it's like to be shot. You can't tell someone who's being shot at or once. I, I, I know what that's like. No, you don't. Until you've worn the uniform, until you've walked in their shoes, I put on that firefighter's uniform. I know what it's like to carry that oxygen tank. I know what it's like. I was in the military. I was in the Army. We went into part of the basic training, and they still do it today, but it's, it's, it's so outdated. It's the, 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 the things that they were training us to defend against were techniques and things that the enemies wasn't even using anymore. In fact, what they were using was so much greater and stronger that what they were giving us to protect ourselves with most of the time wouldn't have done any good. You still hear these stories about how we have soldiers who don't have the gear they need to protect them. I know when I was in the Army, there were situations where we were told we could be in this situation, and this was the gear we have. And I looked at it, and my friends looked at it, and my fellow soldiers looked at it, and we said, if we're in this situation and this is what we have to defend ourselves, we're in a lot of trouble. And in that moment, you're going to want to know that God is on your side. Amen. But until you've worn that uniform, we went into basic training, and part of basic training was one of the things, and you've seen it in TV shows and movies, they, you have to go to the gas, in, in, into a gas chamber so they can tell you what it's like to be exposed to, 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 to gas. And so you, you, you put on your, your masks, and all of basic training, my mask never worked right. But I, wasn't, I, was, I, was, I was a young, stupid kid. I didn't know how to tell the drill sergeant, my mask is not working. I don't think it's right. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. You're, you're supposed to seal it, and it's not sealing. And I just said, okay, it'll be all right, it'll be all right, it'll be all right, because I was stupid. So we put on our masks, and we walk into this building where they have a vial in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the gas there. That, and, and, and as we walk in, everybody walks in and goes around the room. And as I walk in and take my first breath, that mask that had not sealed all of basic training, did not seal, and I went and got just a lungs full. And I panicked, and I ripped off my mask. And I remember, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I remember, I can't breathe. And everybody's staring at me. And the drill sergeant, who was trained to deal with, because I think, I think, I feel, I feel like they put one mask out there. I think they do it. I think they do it on purpose. I really do. I feel like they're just, you know, and, but he walks over and, he, and he's telling, he's telling, he's telling all the guys around me, 
help your, sol- help your fellow soldier, help him out. You see, he can't breathe, he can't breathe. He's, and, he's, and, I'm, and, and, my, and two soldiers, they come over and they help me get my mask back on and they press my mask on the side of my face. They press against it to actually help it seal where it wouldn't seal before. And I, oh, man, oh, and it's working. Okay, I can breathe, you know. And then, and then because I love being an object lesson, the drill sergeant says, the drill sergeant says, now you see, when you get in combat, you're going to have a soldier who's going to act just like that. <laughs> you're going to have to look out for each other. Thank you, object less, amen, you know. Well, you, they, they explain to you, everybody's breathing, everything's fine. And then as you go around the exit, as you go to leave, you walk to the door, and they make you take off your mask. And you're supposed to give them like your birthday. You're supposed to recite something. They'll tell you to say. And, and, and so these guys are taking off their mask and they're getting a whiff of it for the first time. <laughs> and they can't, you, when's your birthday? I don't know. <laughs> and then they let them out. And, I, and it came my time to come around the door. And I went to take off my mask and he said, you've had enough. You're free to go. <laughs> I walked outside, took my mask off. Everybody who'd gone out in front of me was, well, it wasn't a pretty sight. <laughs> I walked outside, I breathed that fresh air. It's like, Lord. But see, that wasn't the end of it. Because we all knew that in basic training, they'd take you over to this field after you went through the chamber, and they showed you the different types of smoke. They had all these cans of like World War II smoke. Pop it, green smoke, pop it, red smoke. And when you're in combat, this smoke means this and this. And they were showing it. But we knew because the rumor mill, when you got into basic training, the first thing that everybody else who was getting ready to graduate told all the new guys coming in, when you go into the field for your two-week training in the field, and when they put you in the gas chamber, when you come out of the gas chamber, and when you get on the field and they're showing you the smoke, it's a trap. Because at some point, they're going to pop a can of gas and throw it right in the middle of you. Be ready for it. Now, we walked outside, and we went to the field, and they're popping. This is red smoke, and this is green smoke. And I'm thinking, my mask still doesn't work. And so I'll never forget the first time he went. And this is red smoke. And he popped it, and five guys grabbed their mask. And they're like, what are you doing? It's just smoke. What's wrong with you? You know, I remember when they popped that last can and ran through the middle, and I knew what it was, and I knew my mask wasn't working. I just held my breath. I was a swimmer. I had that going for me. I said, I can hold my breath for a long time. And this was just training. This was just training. And we have men and women who put on the uniform, and they go into combat with, with, with those who would do harm to them. And they're not just throwing gas at them. It's bullets. It's missiles. It's bombs, and it's not even anything you can see coming. It's stuff that's hidden on the side of the road. It's traps and and all of these things. So I want to give us four things. I I spent too long on it. Four things. I'm going to give them to us quickly. What do we need to do? How do we, what do we, when we think about Veterans Day, four things. Number one, we need to remember the price of freedom. Valiant warriors do not fight for the sake of killing. They do not fight for rewards. In fact, in David and Goliath, if you know this story, Saul told anyone who would go fight Goliath, He offered him wealth. He said, you can marry into my family. You wouldn't have to pay taxes for the rest of your life. (laughs) And yet no one would go fight. So men don't fight just for money. It's not about fighting for, for the sake of killing. It's not about fighting for rewards. David heard Goliath blaspheming God. And David said, is there not a cause? And he walks up to Goliath and he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So we need to remember the price of freedom. The soldiers that serve, I promise you, when I served, soldiers in the military 
were making less than poverty level wages at the time. And when President Reagan came in, he issued some of the, in the Congress, they gave some of the first raises the military had had in like 10, 20 years, and, and it's come up, and thankfully it's not as bad as it used to be. But our soldiers, I promise you, our soldiers are not doing what they're doing because they're getting rich wearing that uniform. Oh, they give you free food and housing. Yeah, have you ever ate military food? I don't know if it's changed in the 30 years since I was in the Army, but I, I wasn't that impressed. Oh, you get free lodging. Yeah, you get to live in a room with 20 other guys in bunk beds all running around most of the time in their underwear. I don't, amen. That's not, that's not the kind of house I want to live in. They're not doing it for reward. Remember the price of freedom. Why do we fight today? We don't fight for the sake of war. We don't fight for reward. We fight for the sake of freedom. We fight for the sake of freedom. And our veterans paid the price to preserve our freedom for us. And we know that freedom is never free. Someone is paying for us to be here in this building this morning. Number two, honor those who fought for our freedom. Remember the price, but honor those who fought for our freedom. Look at verse 18. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among the three. He lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them and had the name among the three. Was he not most honorable of them? Therefore he was their captain, howbeit he attained not under the first three. So in, in one instance, he took on 300 men. He became the captain of these three men who already did the things we read about, the standing of the plot of land and fighting to the sword clave and the one who took on 800 men with a sword. And yet here this one man takes on 300 and he becomes the greatest of them in that moment because of what he fought for. And, and because in the moment when he fought and he needed to fight, he was recognized and he was honored and he became the commander of other mighty warriors. They receive honor. And today as we think about veterans... We, want to, we don't want to just be thankful as we remember their service. We don't want to just be thankful for what they've done. But when we talk about honoring those who fought for our freedom, I want us to think this morning about how we can show them honor. And the first and most basic way is that when we see a veteran is you ought to thank them. I don't know if they, and, and some of them, they're like me. It makes them uncomfortable. But, you know, it's just, it, I would rather make someone uncomfortable and thank them than make someone feel uncomfortable by not thanking them. So whenever I see someone in the military, whenever I see someone in the service, and, and, and you'll hear this a lot today, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Shake their hand. Tell them thank you. Amen? I go out to eat. Whenever I, 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 whenever I, anywhere I go now, and it's become such a thing now, people ask me, are you a veteran? If you apply for anything, if you go anywhere, if you're getting a card, if you're doing anything, or you go out to eat, are you a veteran? Are you a veteran? Yes, I'm a veteran. First thing I want to say is thank you for your service. You're welcome. Thank you. I, it's my pleasure. Amen? I don't like to put the spotlight on me. But then usually it's followed by some kind of reward, some, something that they have, some discount or something where we honor those. Find out how you want to honor the veteran. Don't just, don't just be thankful, but when you see a veteran, find a way to say thank you. Send Christmas cards to soldiers. I, I, wish, I wish the military did this better. Send cards to soldiers. Send, send letters to them. Send gift packages and care packages. When I was in the Army, it was, it was different. It's changed through the years. It was hard to get packages, and it was easy, and it was hard again. The danger is you can't just pack a package and send it overseas to a random soldier because everything has to be searched and checked because that's the day we're living in. While we're trying to send them a package and tell them we love them, we appreciate them, other people are sending them packages with dangerous things in it. Find out how you want to honor them. Find a way to honor the soldier. Number three, learn from their example. Learn from their example. Take a stand on your ground. Don't run to a fight. But don't run from a fight either. 
Know when each one is needed. Learn from their example. How did these men fight? Well, three ways. They fought regardless of the opposition. We've already said this. In verse 8, Joshab fought 800 men with one spear. So he, regardless of the opposition. Number two, regardless of your allies, even when no one stands with you, you say no further. Even though everyone fled, Shammah stood his ground and said, you will not take this land. Number three, fight regardless of the duration, no matter how long the fight takes. Eleazar fought so long that his hand froze to his sword. It stuck to his sword. He gripped his sword for so long that he could not let it go. So fight. Learn from their example. Regardless of the opposition, our allies, or the duration. If there's something worth fighting for, beloved, we ought to fight for it no matter how long it takes. And we ought to be thankful for those who are willing to fight, no matter how long it takes. And you fight even when no one stands with you. You fight even when no one stands with you. If it's worth fighting for, fight for it. Learn from their example. And then number four, pray for those in harm's way. We believe that God hears and answers prayer, and so we cry out to God for help. So let me go back to Psalm 144. This is, what, this is what David cries out in Psalm 144. In verse 5, he says, Part your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemies. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver them and rescue them from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners. Today, when we thank God for our veterans, we want to remember their service. We want to honor them. We want to learn to stand our ground with them, and we want to pray for those who have served and are currently serving our country, because the greatest thing that we can do when we look at the world we're living in and we think about what it means to be a veteran and what it means to fight in this world is we can pray that God would work in hearts and lives and work in the nations and work so that we don't even have to go to battle, but if we do go to battle, that God ends the war before it even starts, and he can do that. Amen? Read the Old Testament. Read the stories of how they were outnumbered and how they went into battle. And God says, now, and, I, and, there's, and there's several occasions where God does this. I love it. They get the army together. They're ready. All right, God, you told us to fight. Here we are. We're outnumbered. We're scared to death. What are we going to do? And God says, hang on. And then he does something so that the enemy is weakened. The first thing he does, and I love, I love the one story in the Bible where they're getting ready to go to fight. And the Bible says that... Uh, well, I love this story. I think it's the story of Gideon. I think it's the story with the pitchers and laying. He breaks them and he makes such a racket. And the, the, the enemies they were going to fight against were so freaked out. They didn't know who was there or what was going on. They started killing each other. They started fighting against each other. Then you have another one where, where the sound of the trumpet was enough to scare them so that they just took off running. They said, all right, we're ready to go to battle. And when they got to the camp, there was nobody left because the enemies of God took off running. Isn't it good to know that when we're called upon to fight, that there may be times when we actually have to fight, but there are other times that when we trust in God, he can fix it so that those who would stand against us run in fear before him, and we don't even have to lift a sword. The Bible says that God is our shield and our defender, and he will fight for us. And so we pray. We pray. I pray. This is how I pray every day. I pray, Lord, for the soldiers who are in the military right now. Protect them from harm. Protect them from those who would do them harm. Give wisdom to our leaders in this nation as we fight, as we go to war, as we look at those nations that would do us harm. And God, when those nations appear and when those times appear, God, I pray that you would move by your strong hand and put the enemies of righteousness to flight so that when those we ask to serve go to war for us, 
It's as easy as war could be. And war is never easy. Amen? But I want to know that when we fight, I want to know that when the men and women who put their lives on the line for us are doing it, they're doing it with God. Not just watching our back, but going before them. Amen? Once you bow your heads, close your eyes.